You're listening to Comedy Central. Big news of the day. Very big, powerful big news. So big, so strong. Greatest news ever. So big. Um, an NFL player was banned for a year for betting on games. Yeah. And like people are angry. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't understand it. I don't understand why athletes aren't allowed to bet. You know, why can't they bet on the sport? There's a few reasons for me. Number one, I think you should always be allowed to bet on yourself. You know what I mean? If you believe in yourself that much, bet the money. People are like, oh, no, no gambling. No, bet, bet the money. And people will be like, oh, but they shouldn't be allowed to bet against themselves. I think you should. You should be allowed to bet against yourself as well. Because sometimes you know the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like if I was a New York Jet, I would bet against my, I know what's going to happen. Why not make some money from it? You know what I mean? Just, you, like that, that, that kind of thing. It should just be public. We should know how they bet. The athletes, it should be like, like, a, like on the stock exchange type thing. They should tell you, yeah, this athlete, they bet this, they bet that, they bet. I'm in for that. But I don't think this guy should be banned for a year for betting, especially when, have you watched a football game recently? Have you watched any sport? Every single ad is sports betting, bet on sports. You need to bet on sports. Then this guy bet, then they're like, no, you're banned. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, ears edition. Tonight, Cuomo's coming back. War rages on. And Jesse Williams. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. The war in Ukraine is still going on, and we're going to be covering it. Yes, the Russian troops are still pushing through the country. We're going to get to all of it, all of it, all of the updates. But first, we're going to catch up on some of the headlines. And here to provide both his companionship and his two cents is my good friend, Michael Costa. What's going on, Michael? What's How up? you doing? Good. March. You should have your Christmas tree down by now. Think about that. And... It's nice out there. I dined out there today because uh, I wanted to, not because I had to. I could feel my legs while I was eating. Outside, That's yeah. That's nice. The city has uh, you know, removed the indoor vaccine mandate. Yeah. So I had the vaccine taken out of my body. I am de-vaxxed. I am de-waxxed. And, oh, I was supposed to tell you, there's a guy on 42nd Street who will sell clean blood to anyone who needs it. So happy to be here. That's my two cents. Hey, man, I'm happy for you and also worried. Yeah. All right, let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with big news from the MAGAverse. One of Donald Trump's staunchest supporters during his time in office was William Barr. Remember him? He was the attorney general and less friendly Jabba the Hutt. But what's interesting is that now that Trump is out of office and Barr has a book to sell, well, he's suddenly not a fan. No, no, he's singing a different tune. Former Attorney General William Barr speaking out live for the first time about his volatile time in the Trump administration and his dismantling of the president's lies about the 2020 election. I told him that all this stuff was bullshit and uh, about election fraud. And, uh, you know, it was wrong to be shoveling it out the way his team was. He was obviously getting very angry about this. I said, OK, well, look, I, I understand you're upset with me. And I'm perfectly happy to tender my resignation. And then, boom! He slaps the desk. He slapped the desk and he said, accepted, accepted. Don't go back to your office. Go home. You're done. After the election, he went off the rails. He wouldn't listen to anybody except a little coterie of, of sycophants who were telling him what he wanted to hear. I'm sorry, did Bill Barr say that 
after the election, Trump went off the rails. That's what he said, after the election? So before the election, when he was trying to nuke hurricanes and inject bleach, that was, that was on the rails? That was normal? You know, it, it feels like Trump fans are a lot like Euphoria fans. You know, they act like the thing got more extreme over time, but really it was like that from the beginning. Yeah, they just hit their limits. Oh, there's so much nudity in Euphoria these days. My man, it's HBO. Everything has nudity, everything. Euphoria, Game of Thrones. I mean, that's, that's why I stopped watching John Oliver. Every episode, and now my dick. You didn't have to show me your dick, John. That didn't help me understand the opioid crisis. And here's what all of Trump's acolytes don't understand. He didn't become crazy. He didn't become that. No, you just realized he was crazy when he started disagreeing with you. Like kamikaze pilots are not sane when they're taking off. You're just agreeing with that part of the flight. Yeah. So what time do we land? What? But the point, the point is that just like John Kelly, John Bolton, Michael Cohen, uh, Omarosa, oh, remember her? Bill Barr has now come out and said, actually guys, Donald Trump is crazy and was not fit to be president. Yeah. But before you get all excited and welcome Bill Barr into the resistance, you should probably hear his plans for the next election. I certainly have made it clear I don't think he should be our nominee and I'm gonna, you know, support somebody else for the nominee. But if he is the nominee and you have your choice is Donald Trump or whoever's running on the Democratic side, would you vote for him? Uh, because I believe that the, the greatest threat to the country is the progressive agenda being pushed by the Democratic Party, it's inconceivable to me that I wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee. So. Even if he lied about the election and threatened democracy, as you write in your book, well, it's, well, it's better hard, than a Democrat. It's hard to project what the facts are gonna turn out to be three years hence, but as of now, it's hard for me to conceive that I wouldn't vote for the Republican nominee. Yo, man, these people are wild. William Barr literally agrees that Trump tried to overthrow the election, but still, he would vote for Trump over a Democrat. Yeah, I mean, maybe Trump's gonna end America and put me in a prison camp, but it's better than learning new pronouns. Am I right? It's actually sad how in America, politics has turned into sports, right? Cause this is like a sports attitude, right? Where people have like this blind level of support. You know, you support the Knicks? Yeah, I support the Knicks. But what if they start doing synchronized swimming, not basketball? Ah, I hate that, but I'm still gonna support them, man. I'm a Knicks fan at heart, you know? It doesn't matter what they do on the court. Swimming, dancing, I'm a Knicks fan. I don't wanna get a new jersey, it's a whole new color, now I gotta learn new things. I'm, I'm a Knicks fan. It's not that, it's not sports, it's politics, you know? He wrote, it seems like he wrote the book about the wrong thing. He says, what I'm most passionate about is fighting the progressive agenda. Well, write a book about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, your writing teacher says to you, write about what you're passionate about, not, you know, write what you're second most passionate about. You, you know? That's, that's what seems to have happened here. He's so, just, they're all heroes when they leave. I, yeah, I told easy. him, I told, no, you didn't. You yeah. were there and then at some point you're like, all right, this guy's crazier than I thought. And they're also all heroes when they got to push their book. Dude, it's always the book. The book? Yeah. This is what I, I found, Do you mind all if I these people push, were there. If I just push my book real quick. Oh. oh, I don't have a book, but oh, if, if I was you did, practicing. I was, I was practicing. No, you did very well, actually. Thank you. Yes, my time at the Daily Show. Why I hated Trevor Noah. <laughs> when and, I, how I resigned on air. <laughs> I used to tell him on that show. Ooh, let's move on. I used to tell him. All right, let's move on. So some news about Andrew Cuomo, the disgraced governor of New York, who was never a guest on the Daily Show. If you see pictures of that, it's a lie. Cuomo, you might remember 
was at the center of a whole bunch of scandals. There was his history of sexual harassment, his shady handling of the early COVID pandemic, and he abused the power of his office by making people watch all those PowerPoint presentations. But now, just seven months after being forced to resign, Andrew Cuomo has decided that he's served enough time. Former Governor Andrew Cuomo's first public appearance since leaving office has some wondering if he's considering a political comeback. Cuomo spoke Sunday at God's Battalion of Prayers Church in Brooklyn. During his remarks, the former governor repeatedly took aim at cancel culture, which Cuomo says forced him out of office. Don't underestimate the strength and the virulence of the cancel culture. They broke my heart, but they didn't break my spirit. I want to take the energy that, that could make me bitter and use that energy to make us better. Okay, okay. First of all, pretty slick move delivering that speech in church. Yeah, because people have to forgive you even if they don't want to. Yeah, Jesus says so. And secondly, let's agree on something, people. Let's agree on this. Please, can we agree on this once and for all? Getting canceled is not the same thing as getting investigated for sexual harassment. All right? Canceled is when people yell at you on Twitter for like a joke. When you're getting canceled, you can put your phone on airplane mode and keep it moving. That's not what happened to Andrew Cuomo, right? That wasn't the woke police, that was the police police. It's a big difference. Oh, I was canceled. No, my, my man, this is a crime. Everyone just uses that. How oh, I was canceled, what were you doing? I kidnapped some people. Cancel culture's out of control. It feels like these days people can blame literally anything on cancel culture. Mommy, wh why is the fish upside down in the bowl? Oh, cancel culture, Timmy. Yeah, that fish is gone now. So sorry about it. I guess in many ways this comeback effort is classic Andrew Cuomo though. You know, nobody asked him to come back, but he's gonna make a move anyway. Yeah, people are like, we don't want you back, governor. He's like, it's fine, I'm Italian. Let's kiss on the mouth. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think he's running. I think since he lost his job and since his brother lost his job, uh -huh. I think they're living together <laughs> on the bunk beds and he just wants to get out of the house. Didn't it kind of feel like he was just happy to get out? It does seem like that. Yeah. yeah. I, he's blaming cancel culture for everything the way that I use supply chain. That's my, oh. you know, hey, I called you 10 times, you didn't call me back. I did call you back. You know, it must be a supply chain issue, you know? My wife was like, I love you, you know, you don't say it enough. I said, look, that's a supply chain question, you know? <laughs> I don't know if, if I can just, so. You know what's funny is, we don't understand the supply chain enough <laughs> to know how to argue back against it. That's right. actually a brilliant thing. Any problems, supply, supply chain. Supply chain. Yeah. I'm gonna say that next time the landlord comes. Trevor, you haven't paid yeah. the, this supply chain. I was in the elevator and someone said, can you hit number 12? And I'm like, yo, supply chain. I can't do that, you know? That was brilliant. Yeah. Wait, 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 I asked you, about my birthday present and you said supply chain, was that the same thing? Yeah, it's been, look, it, supply chain's been a problem for a lot of problem time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, finally. Do you guys remember that Canadian trucker protest that shut down the border and forced you to learn the capital of Canada a few weeks ago? Yeah, you probably remember it, where the truckers blocked the streets for weeks to show their outrage over COVID vaccine mandates and other Canadian government tyranny, like free healthcare and education. Anyway, some Americans saw what happened in Canada and they said, hey, we have trucks too. Why not do that here? But sadly, the result has been less impressive. 
A caravan of pro-Trump, anti-vaccine truckers modeled after the Canadian Freedom Convoy has reached the nation's capital. The People's Convoy traveled across the country to reach Washington, D.C., starting in California last month. The caravan planned to circle the capital several times and then return to their home base in Maryland. But a number of them were sort of were frustrated by the traffic on the Beltway, of course, surrounding Washington, D.C., and did not complete the laps they had hoped. The protests slowed down traffic a little, but the truckers did not know that the Beltway is like that all the time. So the protests ended up having a far smaller impact than the Canadian protest that inspired it in our states. Oh, man, this is just sad. American truckers were trying to block traffic, but DC already has so much traffic that nobody really noticed they were protesting. And I mean, let's be honest, a protest isn't much good if it's too subtle for people to know it's a protest. Yeah, it's like if Rosa Parks bravely decided to sit in the middle of the bus, it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, the bus driver would be at the front like, is that black woman sitting? Ah, whatever. Also, I bet when these truckers planned the driving protest, they didn't think that gas was gonna hit $5 a gallon. Yeah, that's a horrible time to be driving as your protest because now they're praying the cops tow them away just to save on gas. Do you see what I'm doing? What, you wanna tow me back home? Please, man, I need you to tow me back home. I didn't plan this part. <laughs> you think if anybody is comfortable with traffic, it would be truckers. <laughs> isn't that the whole definition of the job? It is, isn't it? It's and actually I, a very hard job, you're right. It's a hard job. And I always feel bad for truckers because even on their day off, if they want to go somewhere, they got to drive. They got to work. And think of that. And timing is everything with this. It doesn't help them that vaccine mandates are being pulled off and, and the mask. It's like, you know, what do we want? No mandates. When do we want them? This morning. We, we ended it this morning. You know, it's already happened. <laughs> I would just say that the protest was successful. I wouldn't admit that the thing happened. Right. I would just be like, how was the protest? We got everything we asked for. Yeah. Imagine if Martin Luther King came, he's like, I have a dream, what? What did already happen? Oh, that was reality. <laughs> All right, everybody, we're gonna go for a quick break, uh, but don't go away, because when we come back, we'll be looking at how Putin is not just waging war on Ukraine, but also on his own people in Russia. Yeah, I know. I'm starting to think this guy's not a good dude. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Show. It is now day 12 of Russia's invasion of Ukraine or as Putin calls it, Russia's relaxing shoulder massage of Ukraine. So let's catch up on all the latest in our ongoing coverage of the war in Ukraine. Despite the world telling Vladimir Putin that he's been not nice, the Russian military has continued its indiscriminate bombing of civilian areas in Ukraine, reducing them to rubble and leaving the people there without homes, food, or even water. And when the civilians try to flee those cities, well, it turns out that Russia has been bombing them too. More and more civilians being killed as Russia escalates its attacks here. People trying to flee the invasion struck at an evacuation crossing point. Twice, Russia and Ukraine agreed to ceasefires in order to give people a chance to get out. Both times, Russia broke the ceasefires with violent, indiscriminate shelling. At least four people, including a woman and her two children, were killed in that attack. We will not forgive, we will not forget. Ukraine's President Zelensky vows to punish Moscow's troops as he reacts to the killing of civilians attempting to flee the conflict. We will find every 
were shot at our cities, our people. There will be no quiet place on this earth for you, except for the grave. Sweet Jesus, this is insane. Like, it's bad enough that Russia is blowing Ukraine to smithereens, but it's even worse that they're bombing people who are trying to escape during a ceasefire that Russia agreed to. I mean, what, what's, what's Russia's logic here? I, don't, I honestly don't get it. What is it? First we murder the people, then they'll warm up to us as their new rulers? What's the plan? And today, after attacking civilians during the first two evacuation attempts, Russia offered to create new humanitarian corridors to allow people to escape these cities. Except, and you can't make this part up, many of the evacuation routes would funnel civilians straight into Russia, which is insane. Like, just think about that for a moment. People are trying to escape and you're like, we'll let them escape, but into our country. Like, imagine hostage takers saying, all right, we'll let the hostages leave. We'll let them leave the bank, but only if they come with us to our house. Then they're still hostages. Are you insane? I mean, not to mention, even refugees probably don't want to live in Russia right now. I mean, things aren't great in Ukraine, but at least they still get the Batman. There's nothing in Russia. And because many Russians have family members who are living in Ukraine, the idea of the Russian military leveling Ukrainian cities and killing innocent people was never gonna be popular in the first place, which is probably why Putin has now gone into overdrive to make sure that in Russia, nobody hears about it. Well, a new Iron Curtain has fallen in Russia, and this time it's an information Iron Curtain. That's why most Russians don't know what's really happening in Ukraine. The Kremlin today blocked Facebook and Twitter, and there are no independent media outlets left. Vladimir Putin signing a law tonight making it a crime to spread what the Russian government considers fake news about the conflict in Ukraine. The maximum penalty, 15 years in jail. Independent Russian news outlets have always found it difficult to operate. Now it's impossible. The staff at Moscow's last independent TV station walking off set as their final symbolic broadcast played out. A similar scene played out at Russia's oldest liberal radio station, Echo of Moscow, which says it's been forced to close. We just can say welcome to the USSR. Yeah, just think about that for a moment. The only place to get any news in Russia now is state media. That's it. Putin even shut down Facebook in Russia, which is so messed up. Like, why couldn't he have shut it down everywhere? Why only in Russia? This man's truly evil. We also want to break from Facebook. I mean, on the plus side, the one silver lining of this is that everyone is getting the exact same news in Russia, which means Russian family dinners are probably gonna be like the least contentious affairs ever especially way more than American family dinners. Well, I heard the war in Ukraine is going well. Oh yeah, I heard the same thing. Yeah, more stuffing, please. Happy Thanksgiving, we're Russians together, enjoying same news so we don't disagree. They sing during Thanksgiving in Russia. You can't prove that I'm not lying because there's no Facebook there anymore. Now, many Russian people are against this war. In fact, over 4,000 protesters were arrested just yesterday. But for most of the country, this media blackout means that they'll never know the truth about what's really going on. Yeah, there are, in, there are even stories of Ukrainians who have called their parents in Russia to tell them what is happening, and their own parents don't believe the stories, which is terrible. 
And at the same time, I guess that's what happens when you lie to your parents about everything else in your life. Oh, sure, Putin's invading you. Just like that time you didn't throw a party when we were out of town, huh? But while Putin is cutting off Russian people's links to the outside world, the outside world itself has been trying to cut itself off from Russia. Russian banks have been banned from the global financial system. Russian airlines have been blocked from entering most countries. And even Apple has stopped selling its products in Russia, which means Russians can't watch Ted Lasso anymore. So terrible for them, probably fine for Putin. Because I mean, if a show has no villain, who's he supposed to root for? And every day, every single day, more companies are joining Apple and all these other companies in leaving Russia. The list of private companies cutting ties with Russia is mounting. Visa, MasterCard, and American Express are boycotting business there. TikTok is blocking users on its platform in Russia, and Netflix announced it has suspended service. Toyota says that they are putting a halt to its factory in production in Russia. This comes as the vehicle imports into the country have been suspended indefinitely. Accounting firms KPMG and PricewaterhouseCoopers both announced they are exiting Russia due to the invasion. From now on, it's just Stoli. The maker of the vodka, which has been marketed as Russian vodka, is launching a major rebranding in direct response to the war in Ukraine. Now Stoli Group has announced that it will only use Slovakian sources to avoid Russian ingredients. Yeah, that's how bad it's gotten. Even vodka doesn't want anything to do with Russia anymore. Just think about that. Can you imagine if hand gestures announced that they wanted nothing to do with Italy? It's a too toxic. So yeah, no Toyota, no credit cards, no Netflix. It's almost like all of Russia is being forced to spend the weekend at their broke dad's house. But unfortunately, none of this has stopped Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Probably because none of it actually affects Putin. This is what people don't realize. Sanctions are bad for the country, but this doesn't affect Putin. Because I mean, Putin doesn't drive a Toyota. Putin doesn't watch Netflix or use credit cards. You think this man pays? Man hasn't paid for anything in like 20 years. Which waiter has the balls to bring Vladimir Putin the check? Um, will you be paying by cash or card? Um, will you be paying with your life? Okay, well, I guess we'll see you guys next time. All right then, <laughs> have a good night. Drama. Yeah, if anything, people, the war has only gotten more intense. Russia has made major gains in Southern Ukraine and looks like it may totally surround the capital of Kiev this week. So the Ukrainian people are in a very bad place right now, which is why it's been so inspiring to see how they're still, still telling the Russian invaders to go f themselves. Thousands of people taking to the streets to rail against their Russian occupiers in a show really that while Russian forces might be able to take some of these towns and cities, occupying them will be much more difficult. In Kherson, Ukraine, defiance. Residents woke up under Russian occupation and took to the streets. Go home, there's no vodka here, this man says. This woman draped in her country's colors stands firm. We are not afraid, we are together, she says. Some incredible vi uh, video out of uh, Kherson, Ukraine, where a Ukrainian protester uh, jumped onto a Russian military vehicle waving his country's flag. Uh, there it is right there. Yeah, people, in the face of mortal danger, many Ukrainians are standing up and saying, we won't back down. I mean, did you see that one guy? He climbed right on top of a tank, which is insane. It's also insane how tanks have like zero defenses against that. If you're in front of a tank, it's terrifying. Ah, but then once you get on top, the tank is like, ah, ah, get off. 
Eh, stop that. Eh, stop that. And this really shows you the difference between capturing a city and controlling a city. You see, capturing a city is easy. You send in more tanks than the other team and then boom, it's yours. But if you can't stop the old man in town from coming out and roasting you, have you really won? Yeah, you haven't. You haven't really won the invasion if your soldiers are coming back home like, we, we took the city, but now everyone is being mean to me. Ukrainians are braving this invasion with defiance and courage. And, and there was one specific Ukrainian that a British reporter caught up with who seems to know the secret to not just coping with the possible destruction of your country, but smiling while doing it. Tell me quickly, are you all right? I'm all right. And how, how many people are trapped I in there? Brits legalized, 420. American? Uh, British. British, British. British. Uh, how many more? Cannabis ham- legalized in uh, Great Britain. Pardon? Uh, is uh, cannabis legalized in Great Britain? <laughs> I don't know whether cannab- <laughs> cannabis is licensed. Uh, I'm glad that's all you're thinking about. Yeah, you guys can have Zelensky. I just found my favorite Ukrainian. Yeah, because <laughs> you see that guy? Like, I don't know about you, when I smoke weed, I can barely handle the stress of the doorbell ringing. This guy's in a war zone, getting questioned by a journalist, and he's chilled AF. In fact, he's questioning her. Let me ask you some questions. Hey, let me ask you. Like, she's flustered, like, wait, what's going on here? I almost think this guy doesn't even know that there's a war going on, you know? He probably thinks that he's got some really good kush. Uh, I should have had half the brownie, man. I'm seeing tanks everywhere. God damn. But this really just goes to show you. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter what language you speak. In every country, on every continent, there's always one weird high guy on the bus. And that brings us together. All right, when we come back, the multi-talented Jesse Williams will be joining me right here in the studio to talk about getting naked on stage. So stay tuned. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is actor, producer, and director Jesse Williams. He's here to talk about making his Broadway debut in the show, Take Me Out. Jesse Williams, welcome back to The Daily Show. Thanks for having me again. Um, You think you're gonna do it this time? Because the last (laughs) time I saw you, you were getting ready to go to Broadway. You were getting ready to make your debut, and I will never forget it. It was around February 2020, and you were like, oh, you gotta come to the show. You got everyone made plans. Yeah. World shut down. Second time around, you feeling good? I do, I feel great. I mean, we were, yeah, we were three weeks into rehearsal. It was, I was nervous, I was terrified, all things I still am today, but um, we never got to take it to the next step. So now we're in tech, we're open in a few days, um, and it's uh, thrilling and terrifying, and we're ready to go. It's not just your Broadway debut, but I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a play that's a revival, but yeah. it's, it's, it's a powerful story as well, because it's a story of a baseball player of color who comes out, and, and I mean, in, along, you know, amongst all sports, athletes will tell you, Look, I've got nothing against anybody who's gay, but there's this, there's this attitude and this feeling yeah. in change rooms where it's like, just keep it out of the, you know, keep it out of the change. Don't tell me about right. it, you know? Right, The locker room is a pretty specific space. Yes. Hyper-masculine space, brings a lot of baggage in there. And all, Richard Greenberg, who wrote the play, envisioned this in the early 2000s, and he figured it was imminent that a superstar, wow. you know, not just a player, but a superstar, a top of his class, world-class athlete that was kind of untouchable. Yes. What would happen if that person came out? Um, because you can't trade them, you can't release them. This is somebody who's really the pinnacle of their profession. What would happen there? And he thought it was going to happen any year from now. It's 20 years have passed. Still hasn't happened in any American major sport right. at that level. Um, never, and then add to that him being black. 
Um, add to that him being biracial specifically right, right, right. and what that represents in this country and doesn't. Um, so it explores a lot of that. And one of the things that's most fascinating to me is that the character, without giving too much away, doesn't change or shift or do anything behavioral to provoke or let men hide behind behavior. Oh, you know, yes. I don't mind that he's gay, but I wish he didn't do this. Yes. I don't mind he's gay, I wish he didn't act this way. Right, right. He's not doing anything. This guy is the alpha, best player in the world, best player on the team, championship team. He hasn't changed anything but said a word. And look how men contort themselves in shape. They don't know how to behave around him. They don't know how to present themselves. Right, right. And it takes away, you know, an interesting locker room dynamic where guys are able to be kind of playful and homoerotic and maybe intolerant <laughs> and, you know, yes. all those things that get woven into locker room culture. Now what do you do when I'm there? When you're in a story like this, you know, you, what, one thing I've always loved about fiction is that it, it oftentimes provides enough sugar for us to delve into fact, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Is that through stories, we get to solve all the puzzles that we, we can't seem to solve in, in real life, you yes. know? Like, yes. I, I, I know a lot of guys out there who'd be, I'm fine with guys who are gay, and then you go like, what if your friend's gay? Ah, no, that's not, that's not cool. Look, we gotta keep our distance, right. man. We gotta keep our distance, but I'm still cool with him. And I go, what changed? Yeah. And it's interesting when you realize that there's still an idea of what gay is or isn't and how we react to it. Yes, that's actually, one of the more interesting things that there's that idea of what that means and if you but if you don't behave in a different way it leaves you kind of flailing for something to grasp at that makes you what is what does gay mean without a demonstrable very much like blackness right like you know in yes. a lot of media blackness has to be demonstrated it right. has to be shown right. in some really narrow uh, pedantic way um, but with this you know the the friendships that Darren has they're very different. He's got a best friend that handles it one way. There's religion comes into play. Mm. There's, there's a projection of, of aggression. There's projection of prying eyes, of me, you know, be a, being a predator yes. in some ways when I'm not even looking at you. <laughs> there's all types of things that we forecast that is a kind of a reflection of what women have to deal with in our society, what black folks have to deal with in our society. It comes with, and, you know, your presence alone is two strikes out of three. Um, I so, like that. So, it's a, so you get to see how, how um, it's really an interesting examination of relationships relationship and the damage that talking can do expressing yourself too much honesty which feels like a pathway in yes can sometimes not be the um, best policy not necessarily and so there's cultural dynamics we give a bias towards there's an interesting undercurrent of white privilege in this story that i think is really interesting whether uh, intended or not because um, darren is not only gay but he's black and yes. he's one of very few right, black right, characters right. in this play so there is a pretty there's an island i'm already on that's fascinating, man. Yeah. I, I can't wait it's to come and see it. It's incredibly written. It's yeah. really, that's why I'm doing it. It's really wonderful, smart material, incredible director, a great cast. You are also going to be nude in some of the, in some of the scenes, yeah? What? Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, this is, it's uh, happening. It's real. This is on stage. It's, it's on stage. I, it's, uh, I, I don't no think clothes. I would ever do public nudity, but I think I would definitely not do nudity on Broadway because I think like on film, I feel like I could be like cut, I'm not feeling my best right now. Uh -huh. Broadway's Broadway. Yeah. So you, this is very helpful. I appreciate you telling me all the way, things you wouldn't do that I'm doing. No, no, no. What I'm saying is it's... I'm 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 <laughs> I'm commending you and I'm asking you because th there is a certain comfort that comes with the story and and the setting and there's a realism that comes with it as well. By yeah. the way, you can't have a conversation about masculinity and power dynamics in a major sports team without being in the locker room. The locker room, especially around homosexual um, expectations, yes. it's about exposure, vulnerability. What do I do? Where do my eyes have to go now? And there's really interesting analysis through the through conversation on the, in the play about that. What the what the brief nudity does 
is bring the audience into our experience. Yes. Yes, this is, you have to decide where to look. You have to, are you listening? Can you look and listen? Can you be here? Are you distracted? Did she see me looking? Do I have to look up? Do I have to avoid? What do I do? So I the audience that. has to really experience what the characters are going through and decide, and then that helps them understand who do they empathize with, who do they understand. A lot of complex dynamics. One of the most fascinating things is having arguments where both characters are right. Right? That's like real life. That's yeah. like arguing with your partner, you know, and reflecting on it two scenes later. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a real relatability to how messy this stuff is. Life is hard. I love it, Matt. It's, uh, yeah. it's exciting to see you on stage. It's going to be great to see you doing this for the first time. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks very much. Good if we uh, get extended, there might be a role for you in there if you want to whip it out. Uh, no, think about it. I, I, will, I will think about it. Okay. Let's take it under advisement. Put it under your hat. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, go, let's, go, let's go for a quick break while I think about this. Uh, <laughs> Take Me Out opens April 4th, and tickets are on sale right now. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll think about this, and we'll be right back after this. I'm going to say no, but I, I'll, th I'll think about it. Sounds like a yes. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, families in Ukraine are fleeing violence and urgently need emergency aid. CARE's immediate crisis response aims to reach 4 million people prioritizing women and girls families, and the elderly. So if you can, please help by donating at the link below to rush urgently needed food, water, hygiene kits, and ongoing support in Ukraine. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.